moments like these I'll sing out a song Oh, I sing out a love song to Jesus in but from our hearts. Lord, receive our worship this morning. Receive our praise. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. You are Lord. You are God. There is none like you. You're the chief captain. You're the, you're the mighty one of Israel. You're the Lord of hosts. You're our God. You're our lover, Lord. Father, we've come in this morning. We just want to say thank you. We sense your spirit, your presence in our midst. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. Lord, we want nothing to hinder this morning. And we're asking, Lord, any obstacle, any spirit that is here, Lord, we bind it in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, we give ourselves unreservedly to you this morning. If we have done wrong or done something that grieved you, and Lord, we recognize that we can grieve you, but Lord, we ask you to look through the blood this morning. I pray, Lord, that through the blood we might find peace and forgiveness. And Lord, that your spirit could flow unhindered this morning. Lord, we're living in a great hour. And we desire that you would come and just encamp in our midst this morning. May the angel of God be very present this morning. Father, you know where our lives are at. You know our needs. You know our issues. Lord, there's more than any man, any minister, no matter how good they are, can do it. Lord, we depend on the Spirit of God this morning. We want to thank you that you are faithful and true. We love you this morning. Come, Father. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the singing. Take this service into your hands. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That'll be all the singing we'll do. Thank you. Brother Michael, thank you to all the specials. Thank you to the young sister that sang, and Brother Virgilio, your daughter, thank you. Thank you for all of these things. This is all a part of our expression to God. I want to welcome you this morning into the house of God. just want to make a quick mention. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to start there this morning, but I just want to make mention... Um, we have the balcony full. We have the church full. Uh, we, we can seat people downstairs, and we'll be glad to do that if we need to. I would just ask that as the deacons direct you, and if they ask you to move, just cooperate with them, if you will. They're doing their very best. They want to make the atmosphere right. I think God has ordained them for that, so you just help them out by doing that. If I can request something, we didn't get a chance to announce this beforehand, but we have our Sunday school that runs from 9.45 to about 10.15. So we're going to ask for the first part of the song service. If you have to go out, don't use, sometimes a father has to take a child out. Don't go to the room that's downstairs in the middle there. Just, just stay clear of that so they can run the Sunday school as much as possible. If you can do that later in the service, you, you want to do that, you're welcome to do that. But if you can do that, you're We'd appreciate that. God bless you. Sure good to see all your faces. Good to see you again, Brother Len, Brother Mark. You're, you're in a different place. That's, 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 that's good too, though. <laughs> good to see you, Brother Sam, Sister Carol, all of you. I don't want to start going up and down the aisles and mention everybody. This will just take too long. So, amen. I, I just want to say also, Brother Moses uh, ministered last night by a Zoom meeting to the church in the Philippines, and I thought he did a marvelous job. A lot of time and preparation. I believe the church there was blessed. We saw some of our brother Norbert, and I think your, your, your children, I think, were, were singing. Uh, for part of that, I, 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 was, I caught some of it. It was, was wonderful. Anyway, we're here this morning. He ministered last night while they had Sunday morning service. We're going to minister Sunday morning at the time of the Sunday morning service here. How does that sound? Let's turn uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 7. You'll catch a theme here this morning. This is Paul. He's speaking about tongues and different things and 
how there is a sound to it. Verse 7, and even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? I believe we have a certain sound in this day. I believe we have an absolute we can go back to. If you ever feel twisted and turned, there's nothing like putting that voice on. And I will tell you, if you've been born by the Spirit of God of this age, that is your absolute. And that is our rest. Over to Revelations chapter 4. We'll read one verse in verse 1. This is after the church ages, and Paul speaks, and he says, or John speaks, and he says this, After this I looked, behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. One more scripture, go to Revelations 19. Revelations 19. This is verse 11. Brother Branham would say the church goes up in Revelations 4, comes back in Revelations 19. Uh, There is the portion that relates to the bride making herself ready, but immediately after that in verse 11, it says this, And again saying, And I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Now I I want you just to remember, God is a good God. He is merciful. He is kind but he is also a righteous God. And we don't want to look at those eyes as a flame of fire. We want to take them. While there's mercy, we want to take mercy. And he said, and his head was, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. So he's not coming himself, but he's coming with a people also identified with what he is. Also on horses, also clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And they're called armies. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that was with it. He should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. God bless his word. We'll stop the reading there. You may have your seats. Notice I said you 
didn't say you may have the comfort of your seats. I said you may have your seats. I want to, if you just got um, Revelations um, 19 still open there, Brother Dan, I just want to, I didn't give you this, but if you just go to verse 17, these are the words that immediately follow um, what we just read. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that he may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both great and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which, and with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse and the sword which proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. I, I don't want to pretend that I am one that is learned and that I've got some smarts or something myself, but like anything uh, that we have as we dwell on the Word of God, there are things that begin to burn on your heart, things that you begin to follow, you look into. And I don't have the answer to all these things, but I'll just say we're living in a great hour. And, and we are, are living in a great gathering of forces. Whether you see it or you can, can see it or not, it's happening around us. So I'm, I'm going to speak again, and this will follow in the prevailing seed, and this will be part six. But I want to speak on the great final unseen battle. And I'm going to need to refer to this, some of the natural types versus the spiritual and so I'm going to just try to do that. In order to do this, and, and I thought I would really conclude what I started last week today, but I realize there's more here. I was um, listening to the message, The Feast of the Trumpets, and uh, there was things I wanted to bring in to this today, but I'm not going to do that. I feel like it would be too much. I just feel checked by the Lord to just speak this part today, but... I'm going to speak this in two parts. I'm going to speak some comments to start. That's the first half of it. Then I'm going to speak the second part in the form of a PowerPoint. And then I'm going to speak the last half of the first part. Does that sound good? Great. Glad you're all with me. I didn't even know I was doing that until uh, just this morning as I was just pulling the final thoughts together. But we, we're just depending on the Lord. It sure is good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, we, we are just thankful that we have a table that we can feast on. If it, I just thought to myself, if it wasn't for the message that has made the Bible real, and I don't like to separate the message from the Bible. They are one and the same. 
And this is our absolute in this day, and it's what we're holding on to. Now, I want to just take, if I can, for a few moments, and I'm going to, I'll start with Genesis, and I want to speak about Abraham. And so let's just go to Genesis 15 and verse 8. Um, this is God speaking to Abraham. Um, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I gave 18. Sorry. I, I read my, my writing along here. So this is after God speaks to Abraham and, and tells him that he's going to have a son, but and a seed is going to serve in a strange land. In verse 18, he says this. He said, and it came to pass when the sun went down. Oh, sorry, verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And I will come back to that near the end of the service. But if I can make these opening comments is... Uh, if, if you look at the land they were given, it was between two sources of water. Some of this, uh, God started speaking to me a little bit when Brother John spoke a couple weeks ago on the Sunday night on, on the, the spring of water and such. And, and there was something, you know, that's how the Word of God is. It, something tweaks you and it sparks you. And I, I sure appreciated the thoughts that he, he had and and I went back to some notes I had, and, and it, it just opened something more. But if you look at, um, in the book of Genesis, there was the river of life, and out of that sprang four rivers, and Brother John referred to that. And, uh, and these four rivers uh, are in the earth even today, but the, the major one that's referred to very often in the Bible is the river Euphrates. And if you actually take where... Um, uh, the river Euphrates was, and a river, uh, Abraham actually crossed that river uh, when he left the Ur of Chaldees, which was the kingdom of Babylon. And I won't really dwell on that, but Babylon was on the other side of the Euphrates. Babylon was um, the beginning of man's civilization on earth. If you go in the Bible and you read about Nimrod, he was a mighty man in the earth. Uh, he was out of the lineage of Cain. If you take the whole principles of how Cain worshipped, how Cain did things, and it was with the wisdom and the intellect of, of not God, but of man, man anointed by a spirit that was in the earth, a, a serpent seed that had manifest itself. So... Babylon came out of that. Babylon became a way of life. It became a great thing. Out of Babylon, they built a great tower. Their, their tower was built to uh, escape the flood because there had been a flood on the earth. They said, well, if there's ever a flood, we're going to escape it, and we're going to be higher than God. We're gonna, if God tries anything against us again, we're going to escape it. It'll never work. It'll never work. So the whole kingdom, the whole civilization of Babylon, it was there. It existed on the other side of the Euphrates. And God spoke to a man called Abraham. 
and he was out of nowhere, and he called him out of the midst of Babylon, leave that system, leave all the principles of how they do business and how they conduct life, and come to a land that I will give you. And the land I will give you will be on the other side of the river. Now, this is where I've come to in the scripture. And it says, so in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. So between the Nile River and between the Euphrates was his inheritance. It wasn't on the river. And it wasn't, it was between the rivers. It was a land that God gave him. If you look at rivers, they're a source of life. They're a source of commerce. They're a source of business. They're a source, you know, the Nile. Uh, if, you, if you look at it in Egypt where, where Abraham's seed was for a while, they, they used irrigation to make the land and to do all of these things. And God even tells them in Deuteronomy 11, he's saying, now... What you learned in Egypt when you were in Egypt, as you come out now, that land was fertile. It was manufactured by man, by what man did. But the land that I give you is a different kind of land. And he says, if you will obey me, I will send the rain. I will give you that. I will be your caretaker. I will watch over you. You don't have to draw from the rivers of this world and the business and, and, and the stream of life of the, of the world around us. So God gave them an inheritance between these rivers. And, and now I'm, I'm just going to stop there for a moment. I, I want, I'm going to come, come a little further. But I want you now just to look for a moment with me at uh, Abraham. Because Abraham himself, now I, I, I want to, there's a natural part to Abraham in his life. But there's also a spiritual part. The natural part of Abraham that we can see to his seed. But there was also a natural part. And I, I, I'm just going to drop this in and come to it. Uh, Brother, Brother John referred to Jesus how on the last great day of the feast he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and, and, and come unto me. And he says, And drink from me, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, Brother Branham would refer to Abraham, and he would talk about how Abraham... In his life, he, 75 years, God calls him. He was already an old man. They couldn't have children. Sarah, there was something wrong. They, they couldn't do it. But they were growing older, and, and, and from 75 to 99, here Abraham had gone along. He had, he, had, uh, he had grown older. It seemed like he was farther from the promise than ever before. So it was in, in Genesis 17, and I'm just going to refer to that for a moment. Genesis 17, now God speaks to him, and he says, I'm the El Shaddai, the, the, the Almighty God. And he tells him now in, in, verses, uh, in verses 4, he said, As for me, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but they shall be called Abraham. Now, I'm, I'm, I need, I'm trying to bring thoughts together, and, and I, I know it'll take just a little bit to get you here. Brother Branham would talk about it this way. He says, Abraham was, was old. His life stream had dried up. 
The vibrancy of which he could perform naturally wasn't there anymore. Now, I, I want you to look at God has always been God. He always operates the same way. And, and, and it was God sometimes allows the conditions to be so extreme and so against us so that he can show himself to be God. It was, it was at the time that the river Jordan was at its highest that he told Israel to cross that river into their inheritance. And he was going to show himself to be God. It was at the time that Hannah was beyond uh, a place where she was ever going to bear children, but God was going to show himself to be God once she expressed the desire, just give me a child and I'll give him to you. So when we wholly surrender to God, then God can be God. So he would say about Abraham, he says now, let me finish reading here in verse 4. He says, my covenant is with thee. You'll be a father of nations. Your name won't be called Abraham, but Abraham. That was the injection of God into Abraham. His life stream, he couldn't make the promise happen. But God, Elohim, had to insert a part of his name into Abraham. And a name is reflective of something greater that was happening in you. And he says, verse 6, And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I'll make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I'll establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give to thee and to thy seed after thee the land in where thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So the promise, even to make it naturally fulfill, Abraham couldn't have a seed. It would take a spiritual work of God in Abraham's body to make the promise be fulfilled. He would signify it by the changing of the name. He actually did the same thing for Sarah, and, and he did it that way. As I'm going through this this morning, I need you to also think, you know, all our life we're taught to trust on what we see and what we see and hear and things that are real that we can, you know, we can feel and touch. But I believe we're at a place where we need to see beyond what is present around us. To spiritually inherit the promise of God we need to make our complete focus on God and on the promises of God. And that will be by immersing ourselves in the message of the hour. If you have a chance in this week and you can, can just even take the message, Feast of the Trumpets, and go through that a little bit because, Lord willing, next week I want to, to, to follow that through. I didn't want to bring it in today. But the Bible would, would say in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 18, you don't have to turn to it, and I didn't give it to you, Brother Dan. We look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. And even 
Paul would write in Romans chapter 4, again, I didn't give you this, Brother Dan, but it says, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace that to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to that which is of the law, the natural, but also to the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. And it said, as it is written, I've made thee a father of many, many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So there is a spiritual application of this. Now, I want to, just for a moment, so it was God that came in Abraham, and it was actually he, he changed his name, but events after that happened very quickly. And it was in Genesis 18 that he appeared unto Abraham in the tent door, and he told him, he said, where is Sarah, your wife, who was a part of the promise? But he says, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, you never saw him physically return, but something happened in Abraham that he could bear witness of. Now, I, I, I need to just stop for a moment. In, in Genesis 17, God makes his covenant, let me say, he confirms his covenant, naturally speaking, by the circumcision, and it was a natural circumcision. Now, the Jew in that day, he could say, I'm of the tribe, you know, forever. He could say, I'm of such and such a tribe. I'm circumcised. I'm in Israel. They could say all of those things, naturally speaking. But yet, spiritually, their heart could not be in it sometimes. And I could say, we could naturally say in the message in this hour, I'm a believer of the message. We, we have all of the tapes. We listen. We do the right things. But the token is God confirming his covenant with you. And the token of this day is the Holy Ghost. So it's not good enough to have an identification with the natural. But the spiritual has to bear witness within us. I'm glad it's there. Because if it wasn't there, I, I wouldn't be here. And, and we need that. We need to depend on that. Now... Let, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 1 for a moment. I, I want to just reaffirm the natural here. Deuteronomy 1, this is now, as Israel, this is Abraham's seed after 40 years in the wilderness, almost 40 years, 39 years, 11 months. Moses is speaking in the last month before they go in. He says this in verse 7. Turn you, take your journey, go into the mount of the Amorites, into all the places nigh thereof, in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, to the Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord sware to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. So again, he reaffirms their inheritance. It's, it's between these bodies of water, these rivers. And, and if I can just say it, rivers, again, their inheritance was between them, not on them, not in them. 
We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Our inheritance, our subsistence is not based on what the government gives us for a handout. It's not based on getting your SERP check. It's not based on getting your charitable status. It's based on the Word of God. That's our inheritance. Now these things are around us. But the world is falling apart. Now, I'm just saying, the things we've depended on we are going to have less of a dependency on as we move forward. So he's telling this to Moses. Now, one more time over to the book of Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Brother Dan, I gave you the first eight verses, but I won't necessarily read all of it. Let's just go to verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise... Go over this Jordan, thou and all the people, into the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Now, I would like to just say is, if God gives us something, we need to, if, if he has mentioned it to Abraham, to Moses, now to Joshua, I believe God's trying to get their attention. This land is yours, take it. Possess this gate. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sun, toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And he goes on to tell them three more times in the next few verses, be strong and be of good courage. You're going to meet opposition, but don't let that hinder you. They, remember, they had seen 40 years back 12 spies go in the land. Ten of them were focused on the wrong things. The conditions, the things that were around, they forgot the word of God. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they saw only the promise, not the conditions. So now those two went in, all the others died off. I, I believe we need to focus. If you're going to look at the message, don't focus on what's wrong around the message. Don't focus on the spirits that are coming into it. Focus on what God has promised. Now, so I, I, I really wanted to bring that part. Now, I'm going to turn to one more scripture back to Deuteronomy 16. And, and then I'm going to go into a PowerPoint here. Deuteronomy 16. Now, This is speaking about the feasts and the Passover, but and next week I want to positionally place maybe some of the feasts into time, into the yearly thing, but we won't do that today. October, sorry, chapter 17, verse 4. There shall be no leavened bread seen with thee in all the coast seven days. This is actually a type of seven church ages. Neither shall there be anything of the flesh which thou sacrifice the first day 
at the evening, even remain all night until the morning. Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, but at the place that the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at the even, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou camest forth out of Egypt. Now, you couldn't just worship God wherever you wanted. You had to worship at the place that he had ordained. And that was a type of the church ages, every messenger. It was God revealing a truth. And as he opened the truth, that was where you were to worship God. And that's where the war always started. And we read that last week uh, just briefly. And it was whenever... A messenger caught the mystery of God. He caught it. He brings it to the people. What does he do there? He proclaims the message, and it starts a war, a spiritual war. Now, you can look at this. Satan, from the very beginning, he always attacks what God is doing. And it was, and and remember, it was even in, in Joseph, Joseph was spiritual among the 12 brethren. Joseph was hated without a cause. It was a type of Christ. Joseph, Joseph was persecuted by his brethren. And, I, and, 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 and Brother Adam would go, and he would actually go on to say, now notice, elect does not persecute elect. But there is a spirit that will persecute the elect. And, and, and I'm sure you've seen it, friends. Even amongst ourselves over the last years, you've seen people arise who have left, and it's one thing to leave. Leave quietly. I don't understand it. I don't believe it. Just go your way. But I say, too often they come back and they're there fighting against what they once stood for. It's another spirit that catches them and they're fighting against it. Now there's spirits at war here. Now, so that, that, that's what it comes forth. Now Brother Ram says it's a great plan every age. He says he takes the messenger with the elect. A plague comes on if they reject it. And he says finally to the last messenger, the last angel, he has no certain mystery. He gathers up all that's been lost, all the truths as the revelations come. And he says he reveals it in his day. He takes the book, the seals, he breaks it to the seventh angel. He's, he's saying this alone, the mysteries, is the mystery of the seventh angel. And in the days of the seventh angel, he goes forth, blasting forth the gospel trumpet to finish all the mysteries. That's part of what we'll save for another time. Now, if you can, Brother Dan, I'd like you just to turn that PowerPoint on if you could. I'm going to use some of this as just a little bit of a a rehearsal, and, and some of this will come together at the end, so just stay with me a little bit. I... Like I said, I don't pretend that I, I know anything, but I thank God for everything he's made real to us. So as soon as we get that up, then we'll, we'll go from there.
Thank you. Okay, we'll back up just a bit here. So, let me just take a couple of things just to sort of break into this. Remember, God is the Word, and each age He has lauded a word, the Word to the age that would be on the earth. So He makes it real at different intervals. I'm going to just, just go briefly through some of this. And then He says, It revealed first the seven church ages. It opened the ages, placed them positionally, both with history and the Bible, and set them in position how they was, and we find ourselves in the last church age, the most corruptible of all the church ages, even from the very first from Ephesians, which was a great church age. So I brought this in just to try to give you a little bit of a timeline, and it was just showing the history, 7,000 years. The first 2,000 years um, was from Adam and Eve to, to Noah's Ark. That was the washing of, on the earth of, of water by the flood. Then it was another 2,000 years till Christ came and he spilt his blood on the earth. Then after another 2,000 years, it comes to where we're at right now. And then there'll be another 1,000-year period where there's a millennium and it goes on. So sometimes I don't know if we really appreciate where we are in the economy of God. I'm trying to give you a little bit of that today. The first 2,000 years, as I said, there was maybe not a lot that happened I mean, the Adam lived almost 960 years. I think um, different ones lived. Um, Methuselah, I think, lived the most out of all of them. They lived half of that 2,000-year period almost. And like, like wow, that's, that's longer than almost uh, the Thyatiran church age or something. So it was, it was a time, but I, I'm just bringing this in. But then in the second 2,000 years, now God is beginning, and as I you see things ramp up and, and become more. Um, things come together more and more as things unfold. So we see this is Nimrod and Babylon. This is God calling Abraham out of Babylon. Then there's Moses, King David, Daniel. If you actually take those intervals, they're actually in 70-week intervals. And that's Daniel 70 weeks, but not, not today. We won't get into that. Out of Nimrod came the Babylonian Empire. Um, and it was then the Persian, then the Greek, and then the Roman Empire. Daniel saw this in an image. He showed it, and he so showed that, that Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold, and then he showed that the, um, the breastplate of silver, and then the belly of brass, and the legs of iron and clay, down to the end time, and how even that was still going to put in play um, uh, the Roman Empire down to the very end. So we'll come to that in a bit. Now, Brother Adam would say of the Old Testament, so that the time that we just looked back to, we just want to keep this focus. While all of this was going on up to the time of Christ, it was God building a masterpiece. And the masterpiece was reflected in Jesus Christ. So there was a portion of God represented in Abraham, in Moses, in David, in Daniel, in all of the different ones, Elijah. But they were not the fullness. The fullness came at the end of that cycle. And now, just to remember that, he says, 
Therefore, all the promises of the Old Testament was met in Jesus Christ, not in Moses, not in any of the prophets, but the masterpiece, it matched all that he said it was going to be. So this is not about trying to be something, it's God doing something. It's not about us trying to figure it out, doing, but it's us recognizing what part we're playing. And we're playing, and he says, oh, the church, he says, so the church will have to be a match of everything that God promised. It's going to have to be the piece that's smitten off. If the original is the word, so will the subjects that's been taken from the word to match his side. So the Old Testament masterpiece was Christ. The New Testament masterpiece will be the bride. We want to remember that. So under the time of the 2,000-year period of, of uh, the, the New Testament, there was seven church ages, seven messengers. This was represented in different ways. There was out of all of the age, there was these circles drawn of light and of darkness. So there was an element within the church that was light and that was dark. An element within religion that was true and that was false. So we're remembering that, okay? Just, just as we go along, the, the white represents the portion of the elect out of every age. And as you see, it got darker as you came to the Thyatiran age, almost extinct, came out into the, into the Sardis age, Philadelphia, and then Laodicea, and finally it goes back into darkness again. So we're remembering these things. So in the masterpiece message, Brother Branham would use this, except a corn of wheat falls in the ground, it bides alone. The church that started in Ephesians had to go in the ground to bring forth again. So it says the first church that was that reproduction, the bride that seed, that word made manifest, fell into the ground at Nicaea, Rome. So he's talking about there was a definitive point there. In 1964, if I just will say this for a moment. In 1964, and I, I said it last week, I'll say it again. If you watch what happened, Brother Branham saw the vision or the preview of the bride. And out of that, it opened a channel to him that he preached the masterpiece message, the feast of the trumpets, recognizing your day in its message. And he began to see more clearly the distinction between the bride and the church and what separated the bride and what separated the church. And it's very important in this day to see it. Because there are people that are very zealous in this last day, zealous to stand against something, but don't have the full revelation. We had a call from a man who's been in this church, been to some services. He's, I, he's a sincere man. He called the church and he wanted to ask us. He says, are, are you going to stand with us as we march on the legislature against masking and against all of the restrictions that are going, I sing, well, listen, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't like it either. He says, but I, I would say my battle is not just that. Because I'm also, I, I'm also not in favor of homosexuality or transgender. I'm also not in favor of abortion. But I'm not able to go out there. See, this is not our fight. It, the, the, the church world is fighting that. But we need to remember what we're called to, what we're representing, and we are here to represent Jesus Christ. 
And in the same token, if you fall into that channel, it won't be long. And you watch churches, they're looking to fight this naturally. They're also looking to avoid the tribulation. And not to avoid the tribulation, but to gear up for the tribulation. Let's gather things together. Let's be ready. There's three and a half years coming. We gotta, we're going to ride this out. That's not us. And we need to remember what we're under. We're under a word that service by service is cutting us, shaping us, changing our attitudes, preparing us for something. Why? Because we are the fulfillment of what Jesus Christ did at Calvary. We are the ones, I don't know where you can go in the world and find people that love to hear the word of God straight, that love to worship God, to be in an atmosphere that don't need to be pumped up by music or a light show or to create an artificial atmosphere. The atmosphere comes out of the word that lives within us, the word that we revel in, Jesus Christ. And I will say, this is less and less about men. This is less and less about who Brother Ed is or who any minister is. I'll tell you, it's about Jesus Christ, the Word that comes in our midst. This is our portion. You can give me lights off again. Listen, church, he says, Masterpiece Message. Throughout the nations that will hear us, there is your dirt, it's them denominations. That's where the word was crucified and they accepted dogmas. Now, remember, that's what happened at Nicaea, Rome. There was a mixing of things. Let me, well, I'll come to it. He says, for hundreds and hundreds of years thereafter was the Dark Ages. The power and manifestation of the word was hid from the church. Only Catholicism ruled. But then he says this, but you can't hide a germatized seed. It's got to come forth. Why? The great sculptor is on the job. It's going to build again. And as the seed went down, the word... That's he's saying, as that come, it'll come forth again. I, I cut some of this off. Now, now I'm, I'm taking this last timeline, the seven church ages. This is where Jesus died. This is where we went forth. That was the first, second, every age. You can see natural characteristics. But what was unseen back then, what was happening, was that there was actually a horse rider. There was actually a spirit. They didn't see it. But God chose at the end time to break that seal to show us what was there so we would see the spirit that started there that moved from a spirit, a Nicolaitan spirit to conquer and divide the laity to establish a principle of Babylonian rule again within the church. Man over man. Where did that start? In Babylon? God says, I am your king. I am your Lord. It's not man ruling over man, but it's God ruling over the hearts of man. That's what we're coming back to. The purity of God revealing himself to every individual. So, the breaking of the seals 
was to a people back here just getting ready for a rapture. But it showed what happened back there. It showed what happened under the second seal. It showed what happened under the third. And what's actually unfolding under the fourth. Because there's a portion of the fourth that goes on after the rapture. In the fourth, it's a gathering together of powers. It is demon powers, political powers, religious powers coming together. What are you battling against? That's what you're battling against. That's your battle right now. It's not political only. It's not demon only. It's, and it's religious too. So before you just embrace everything. No, it isn't that. There, the, we are not left here un, unaware or blind. There's a, a, a trumpet that is sounded with a certain sound. And it behooves us to stay in that message. I, I, I get great comfort from going for a walk and listening to that tape. There, there's things that are happening I can't explain, but it's saying amen, amen, amen. And you know what it's also doing? Unknowingly, it's, it's, it's making me aware because you won't figure out with your own mind who, which friends you should have. You won't figure out why you get a, a funny spirit around somebody. That comes as a result of being in the Word. That comes, that's something that warns you, whoa, there's something not right here. And let me stand back. Let me pray. That comes because you're in the Word. I've seen this before. So, there's a portion that happens after the rapture when the gray horse rider actually gets on that horse. That will be the prophet, the false prophet. He's not on that horse yet, but it's coming together. We're seeing it unfold. Now, so the seals are in symbol form. John just saw the symbol only. He didn't know what it meant, but God reserved it for the time we live in. Then the symbols related to certain kingdoms, governments, religions, you know, etc. But at the opening of the word, at the opening of the word, and and. This will be a, a, another service. I, 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 I want to take time with some of this. You know, we always have young people coming up. We take it for granted. And sometimes they just hear a phrase, the opening of the word. Well, okay, yeah, we're under the op- What does that mean? Let, let's, let's look at it closely. And, and I won't do that fully today. But, you know, in, in Revelations 10, verse 7, this is the part we were all drawn to first. If you're in the message, I, I, I would say 90% of us, this is what we caught when we heard the message by William Branham. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. It wasn't finished at that moment. Why? Because it was an unfolding. The mystery is not actually finished until it becomes flesh. And until it becomes life in us. Not knowledge, but life in us. That's when the mystery is finished. And he said, as he's declared to his servant. So they asked Brother Branham a question. These seven unknown thunders, this will be something that God reveals to you, Brother Branham. says, no, 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 no. 
It has to be in the Bible. It's in the Bible, but God makes it real. We'll do this in a different service. So, that's the part we caught first. And then we looked closely at this. I don't know any of you that were in English literature. And they, they taught you, okay, you need to write a little phrase. And you would start out your little discourse and say, but. You know what? You'd get an X on that. Because but signifies something happened before the but. And you never start but. Unless you're Paul Harvey. <laughs> Paul Harvey said such and such happened. And what happened before that is the rest of the story. So here, what's the rest of the story? What happened before Revelations 10, 7? Revelations 10, 1 through 6. A mighty angel descended. So in a spiritual level that we could not see, we saw the seventh angel, but we didn't see the mighty angel. But it was true. He was descending. He was not falling. He was descending. And he was putting his foot on the land and on the sea. So he was taking dominion. Now he was taking dominion never to lose it again. And there was a people that was going to be called under that. That were going to be embodied with that spirit. I don't know why I'm standing against this. I don't know why I was never comfortable in denominations. I don't know why I was uncomfortable. Now when he descends, oh yes, this makes sense. Now I see it. Listen, even Brother Branham said, now I see it. He said, I never understood why I was so against this. But now that the word is open, now I see it. Now let them challenge me on serpent seed. Now let them do it. Why, if something had happened. <laughs> Friends, we need to see something's happened. Not up here, in here. Something has changed. <sighs> so, Revelations 10, 1 to 6, we won't go through it today. Also, after Revelations 10, 1 to 6, that was the before. What happened after? Revelations 10, 8 through 11. Now, this has happened. Oh, that's wonderful. Let's just sit back and observe. Let's just watch this. This is tremendous. No, Christians are not observers. They're engagers. They're actually the vessel that God uses in this last day. That's why I think it's so important that you don't settle into a habit. You know, it's so easy just to watch. Let me watch the service instead of being in the service. Let me, why, and I'm not saying you can't always be in every service, but I'm saying be engaged, be praying, be a part of the atmosphere. You are a part of this service. Every one of us is. Now, under that comes other things, but we've got to move on. Now, so there was four seals. There was also a fifth seal pertaining to Israel, and there was a sixth seal pertaining to tribulation and judgments. Next week, I'm going to do that a little bit more. And then there was also a seventh seal, which happens right at the end here, and it actually goes right through the millennium. It goes right into eternity. That's the seventh seal. It's unfolding. It's unfolding, and that's Christ. Okay, we won't do that. I want to get to what I want to get to. Now, I want to speak on this Armageddon, naturally speaking, the final gate. Revelation 16, verse 12. 
And the sixth angel poured his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now, we've read about Euphrates natural. Brother John referred to it in that message he spoke. Brother Tim Dodd actually spoke a, a wonderful message on this. And it says, the great river, and now look at the things that happened here. The water thereof was dried up. In other words, the way of life was dried up. The world is falling apart. Medical science doesn't have the answers. Psychologists don't have the answers. Politicians don't have the answers. Economists don't have the answers. The way of life that they were used to is drying up. Now I'm going to come back to this because under the sixth trumpet, this is part of it. I won't necessarily do it all today, but next week. And it says, it was dried up that now these kings that were separated could cross. That they could make their way across. And he says, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophets. Now, John's looking spiritually, and it said, these are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now, you say, what does that have to do with us, brother? That's, that's way off in the future. Not necessarily. Just, just hear me out a little bit. And if, if it is, why is this next verse written? Verse 5. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth, keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So there's a natural part that's going to be fulfilled. So let's just look at this. Armageddon, you say that phrase, it means a lot of things. It's the end of the world. It's the great final battle. We actually read part of this in, in, in our opening scripture in Revelations chapter um, 19. But it talks about Christ coming back to fight and he's, he's fighting, he's riding on a white horse, but behind him was the armies of heaven. Now, I, I, you could just leave the lights off, don't, don't change it. I, if, you, if you take what Brother Branham would say, he says, people that fight today and have a spirit within them have a part of the same spirit that the angels had in heaven when they resisted Luther's lie. And I would say that those armies that we saw here, these armies, they are represented by the portion of the word that they fought in the age they lived in. And, and, and you just say, well, brother, you're making, I'm, I'm just going to say, that they had to be assembled out of their stand and their love for the word. And it had to have been expressed before it ever got to heaven. It happened on earth. Now, let's just go a little further. This is a place that they call the Valley of Armageddon in, in Israel. It's called Megiddo. It actually says this. Armageddon means the hill or the city of Megiddo. It's the scene of a struggle of good and evil. It started by the plain of Eskelon, which was famous for two great victories, Barak over the Canaanites, 
and Gideon over the Midianites. It also had a couple of disasters, the death of Saul and Josiah. Hence, in Revelation is a place of great slaughter, the scene of a great, of a terrible retribution upon the wicked. It's, it's called Megiddo. It's actually on a hill on a high place. There's part of this. You can see it as an aerial view a little bit. But this is a natural place that's going to come. There's going to be a battle there. Now, this is the natural battle. Listen to what Brother Ram says. I won't read a whole quote. Let me read the part in yellow. Then he will return to the Jews again, and that's when the battle of Armageddon takes place. There he called the Gentiles to take a people out for his name that is his bride. He said, now I was saying a while ago the negative and the positive. I won't read all of this, but down to Russia will come down. They're saying we've got to have that stuff that's uranium and everything that's down there. We've got to get it. And as they go down, then there'll be a battle of Armageddon. Now, if you look actually at some of the news articles, China is in economic crisis. They're in an energy crisis. The, the, one of the strongest forces in the world. And if you look at it, now there's a natural part of Revelation 16. The kings of the east will cross to get it. Israel is one of the most oil-rich, mineral-rich nations in the world. And there's a natural part to this. They're, they're, and, and Brother Van, actually, you watch when Russia goes down for that oil. Now, you can't just be looking at that because then we become news watchers and not word watchers. And word news watchers, there's, there's people who've been in contact around the message. They'll say, when I hear that California's going down, then I'll serve God. You know, you don't say that in their heart. But they don't say that in their mouth, but they say that in their heart. I won't really get serious till I hear things are really shaking. It'll be too late. You've got to be in the Word now. Don't wait for that. Don't wait for those things. That's the natural. Right now there's a spiritual that's happening. So, now, now look at what happens in the, in the battle of Armageddon, naturally speaking. That'll be when God will stand, like he did in the valley, for the children of Israel and fight again. Zechariah 13. I come back to it. That'll take place until the Gentile, but that'll take place until the Gentile dispensation will be finished. And when that time's finished, she's cut off. This is early. I'm going to take another quote here. Now, he, he refers to watch all these things. Now, why is he saying watch? Now, he refers to the pouring out of the vials, the woes, the three unclean spirits like frogs. Watch these things how they fit right in with these plagues and exactly how they're poured out. Every time a seal is opened, a plague pours out and a destruction comes. And watch what takes place right now at the end. Next part of the same quote. Watch these three, those two prophets. And then in the middle of the week, they're cut off like that. Then starts the battle of Armageddon. Then he begins to speak himself. Now who is it? Then God begins to speak himself. That's to Israel and the world. But to the church world, God is speaking himself right now. Not down the road. He's speaking now. If you can catch it. 
This is not a message of just another prophet. This is God himself that has come down. That's why this message is an absolute. Don't be lulled to sleep. It's God speaking when you put that tape on. What does he do? Naturally, he stands and fights. What's he doing spiritually? He's standing and fighting in his people. Now, they're preaching the name of Jesus. They're, they're baptizing the same way. Let's, let's just move on here. I had talked last week about this nation, the, this book written by this man about the indestructible Jews, a natural nation that just doesn't seem to go off the face of the earth. They just keep coming up. Let me move on. Now, the spiritual becomes intertwined. Now, he says, I'm not against Germany. I'm just against Nazism. I'm not against the Italians. I'm just against fascism. And he says, and then there's communism, and he'd say, don't fear communism. But they'll all wind up together. Now, he says, keep your eyes in Russia. She'll wind up in communism And then he says, and then it'll all wind up finally in Catholicism. Remember, it'll wind up in Catholicism at the end time. That's exactly right. That's at the Battle of Armageddon right in here when Christ comes himself. Now, here he talks a little bit about the three unclean spirit that set the whole world to Armageddon. Let me go a little further and I'll pick this up. And uh, the angel, he talks about the Euphrates River. Let me go a little further. Um, Let me go a little further. Okay. Modern events made clear by prophecy. Now, we see things happening in the world. And, and, you know, the world kind of looks at it as a great event. You know, they'll, they'll look at the Pope meeting Joe Biden, which happened this Friday. Oh, that's a great event. You know, there's Americans. Wow, this is great. Pardon me. You that are spiritual, you know it's not great. A country that was founded on the principles of religious freedom, now the second Catholic president that has ever been. Don't you think that the floodgates are opening up? We can't see it, but it's opening up. Now, Let me go a little further. Now he says it's getting towards evening time. At the evening time, events are made clear by prophecy. What's taking place in the modern hour so you can, you can easily be identified if you believe the prophecy of the hour. Now, they were slow of understanding back then, but it says slowly they began to understand. I think we ought to be recognizing more and more as we see things come together. Let me go a little further. Now, he talks about how in the church ages, the light was fading off the earth, and it would come off, the light of the earth would fade in and out, and the Holy Spirit gave him that when he drew the church ages, and that became the symbol of what we used. Here, I'll come to it in a minute. But now he, he sees what God led him, and as he sees something happening in 1964, he says... The Pope, for the first time in history, left the Vatican and went to Jerusalem. Now, 
remember what I'm saying here about the Euphrates drying up. Now, I, I, I won't run into, I'm going to run out of time, but that's a natural thing, but it's a spiritual thing also. He says, because what was a, a separation was now opening up. Remember when Khrushchev uh, banged his foot, Khrushchev meaning um, clay, and Eisenhower was the president, and Brother Branham picked it up, and it wasn't just Brother Branham, but it was the Lord. And he said, it was east and west, iron and clay. And he says, they couldn't agree. They, they wouldn't mix. They wouldn't cling together. But you know the funny thing is? They will cling together under the guise of religion. Just, just follow this through. Now, he said, Jerusalem is the ancient seat of our religion, is Jerusalem. The Pope from Rome has been the church's greatest enemy. He comes to visit from Rome to Palestine. And he says, this is, this is in 1964. This is the Pope then. He comes to Israel. And Brother Branham has this vision before. He sees this happen. And then that same year in the heavens, there's a blackout. The, the, there was a blackout where, let me just go to this. There was a blackout where the moon, like it came under and it was blacked out. It was completely blacked out. The moon representing the church. And he's alarmed because he saw something before. He saw an event in earth and it's reflected in the heavens. And he, this is, he, he, would, he would refer, they had a picture. I couldn't find it. They had a picture and it was in one of the message books and I couldn't find that message book either. But he said it reflected what, what the Holy Spirit had him draw. Now, I want to go back to this. So I'm, I'm, he sees that in 1964. 50 years later, in 2014, another pope goes to meet uh, in Jerusalem, meets one of the rabbis. 50 years later. Now, Brother Bram says, when the sun is gone, in the absence of the sun, the moon reflects the light to the earth, which is a type of the church. When the Pope leaves, the ancient enemy comes over to Jerusalem, which is the seat of the church. The new Jerusalem, the old Jerusalem, there was a total blackout of the moon. And it was on the papers. He, he just repairs. I already said it, so I'm not going to go through it. Now, it also says this in Daniel 11. I'm, I'm going to try to make a point to get to. In Daniel 11, it said... In his estate, we read this last week, shall stand up a vile person to whom shall not give honor of the kingdom. But he will come in peaceably and he will obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Now, Brother Adam would say this, and he says, speaks of the United States. It's in Revelations 13. He says, Revelations 13 is the United States in prophecy. It had two horns, Civil power, that's natural power, but ecclesiastical, spiritual power. And it was like a lamb, but it wasn't a lamb. And it was, in fact, Biden, Biden he, he <laughs> I called him Biden, Biden actually declared the new, the, the, the symbol of, of America to be the bison, like a lamb. When, not Biden, it was Obama did it, sorry. Obama did it. Now, after a while, these two powers, now spiritual, un, unseen, but there's, 
the civil was seen. Like you can see what United States Army is doing things. But unseen, there's another part. And that's the part that's been falling apart the whole time. After a while, they went together and he spoke like the dragon, exercised all the power that Rome did before him. That's coming to our nation. You mark it down. You watch the Confederation of Churches and the Catholic unite together. Watch what takes place. Don't be deceived. It's going to happen. It will happen. The persecution in Feast of the Trumpets, Brother Bram said, it's not to the church. It's to the bride. It's coming to our door. You need to know where you're standing. I need to know where I'm standing. And you need to also know that when that hour comes, Christ in you is greater than all the powers around you. Now, he also, in part of the same quote, people who follow the pillar of fire will certainly have a rough time. Oh, is this, I'm looking, so looking forward to this, brother. No, you're not. But they're ready for the translation. That's right. They're ready to go. Now, this is the first Catholic president. This is the second Catholic president. This is the first Catholic president meeting the Pope. This is the second Catholic president meeting the Pope. This is also the president with the vice president. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that, but there are things that are happening around us. You know, we can look at it, and if, if Abraham Lincoln would have looked down and seen this, he would have stood up and, and made a declaration, said, don't fall for it. But America's gone beyond that point. I believe one of these glorious days when this united confederation of the church goes together, a new pope is brought to the United States and put over there according to prophecy, then they'll form an image to the beast. That's going to happen. There'll be an image to the beast out of, and it'll come out of the United States. It's in prophecy. But he says also, the true church will be driven together. The real believers, wherever they'll be, they'll be cemented by the love of God that'll make the body of Jesus Christ. But, he said, there's also agnostics, shallow-minded, that'll be cast to one side. They'll go into the confederation of the churches. Now, if you actually look, Protestant versus Catholic used to have huge differences, but they're coming together. Why? The Euphrates has dried up, and, and spiritually speaking, these unseen spirits are crossing over. What used to be a dividing line is now coming together. And if you look at it, the, the, the things, actually the thing that unites them together. Let's just go a little further. I'm going to go to this. Revelations 9, I'll skip this. We'll go to this next week. This is the same scripture we took. But it says in verse, in verse 13, Three unclean spirits like frogs came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of false prophets. They're spirits of devils working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now this is the, the rivers that kind of flew out from the Eden. That was Tigris. That was Euphrates. Babylon was in here. Abraham crossed over. He was given this land between the sea and the Euphrates. Naturally speaking, this is, these are the rivers that were in the Garden of Eden. This is where Babylon was. Brother John kind of touched on this the other day. But naturally speaking, the Euphrates River, 
This is where Syria, this is the portion between the sea and the Euphrates that was given naturally speaking. But spiritually speaking, and this is where Feast of the Trumpets go under Revelations 9, what was hidden there to the unseen eye is there was supernatural devils that were not allowed to cross over spiritually until an appointed time. Okay, so that happened. We'll, we'll touch on it next week. The sixth angel poured his vial and the great river Euphrates is dried up. This is the river Euphrates. This is actually a drying up now. It's actually, naturally it's drying up. Don't look at the natural. There's a spiritual part I want you to look at. These, these are some photos that are happening. But he says, I saw these three unclean spirits like frogs. And they're gathering everybody together. And Brother Bram says, look at, look at how he terminologizes this. He says, a trinity of frogs. They're looking backward. He said, where was Trinitarianism born? It was at Nicaea Council. Where the Trinity doctrine was born, not in the Bible. Now, what unites the churches together more than the Trinity doctrine and the baptism? Catholicism believes it. Protestantism believes it. That's a common denominator. And you come along. Listen, my mother, was. we were looking at getting her into a home, and we were looking, it was a Christian home. And, and one of the things... They wanted her to sign, and she hasn't gone into it. She's, she's good at home. But when we were looking at it, they wanted us to sign, I believe in the Trinity. I just put, see other side. I believe in the Trinity of one God operating in three offices. I signed it on the other side for her. And the, and the lady looks at it, oh, whatever, that's okay, yeah, just as long as you believe in a Trinity of something, you know, whatever. But they almost look at you aghast that you don't believe in a trinity. What's going to unite the world more than a trinity? It brings Protestantism and Catholicism, but it also brings together the Muslims. It brings together, because under a trinity, they all believe there's one God. And you have your God on earth, which is Jesus, and we have our Mohammed, and, and you have a manifestation of a Holy Spirit. You know, we have a manifestation of a Holy Spirit. But it's not together. It's not binding. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Why is this a battle for us? And why is it such a uniting for the world? Because it's drying up. Hey, the United States was formed on all of this, but it's coming together. I, I really wanted to take more of a natural application here. I still will. Now, now he says, I feel, he says this, and he said, I feel a spirit resenting this. He said, I'm not speaking of myself. It's the angel of the Lord that's in the camp. <laughs> now, he says, a false trinity he says, it was manifest in the early days. When the seven seals come and open these mysteries, that's when these frogs, these three unclean spirits, come out to manifest themselves. Now, they've been relatively powerless, but when they're mixed together with religion and politics, listen, we've already seen in our country, you've seen... Our leader, he unilaterally in his first term, there was a summer works program, and you could sign up and get a, 
you had to have higher students and you get reimbursed by the government. He unilaterally said, if you don't agree with our stand on the abortion and you don't sign off on it, you can't, you're not eligible for funding. Now, where did that spirit come from? Don't blame the man. Blame the spirit behind him. It's rising up. It's got to be. And it's got to be. Why? Because the bride, what was, if, if those frogs were manifesting, then Christ is also manifesting in a bride. And, you know, we used to be protected by borders. But now it's coming in on us. And, and the waters of civilization have come in on us. We can't drink from those waters because they're contaminated now. But we can only drink from one water, one spring, which is Christ in us. Brother John brought it out so well when he said, the man that that sat at the gate, the, the crippled man that sat at the pool of Bethesda, he sat at the pool, he was trying to get into this natural pool. But he said, at a certain time, and he says, he was going to do it by faith. Now, Jesus saw that that man had faith. The others were doing it for natural reasons. But he said that man, he perceived he had faith. And Jesus, who is the spring of water, who is a well of water within himself, now the well of water comes to that man. And as he comes to that man, he can drink from that fountain without having to jump in that pool anymore. This is where we are. We have a fountain. We have a water that is not contaminated. There's another part I want. I got like three or four messages I want to speak on prevailing seed. But the nature of a mustard seed is it will not mix. I believe the seed that we have is not air with the shuck. I believe the seed is coming into power where it can speak for itself again. I believe that we're moving into that hour even now. Don't look at at our natural walls to protect us. You look at spiritual walls, your faith to protect you. Let me go a little further. Well, okay, we're going to, what did I have here yet? Okay, we're going to stop, let's stop there. You can turn that PowerPoint off. Let me just read a couple of things. We're right at noon, I'm going to read a couple of things. Now, the message will not denominate. Men will come in and use the message for gain. Men will use the message for control. But the true believer doesn't use the message as a tool. He is submitted to Christ. How many appreciated Brother Moses' message on Wednesday? I think that's wonderful. If you look at the book of Daniel, it said the books were opened. What book is opened in our day for us? It said thousands times thousands minister to him. I won't have a chance to go to it, but Brother Man says, that was the bride. When do we minister to him? Now. 
The book is open to us. We're seeing him as Lord before he's actually in power. David's men saw in David what was coming into power before he actually came into power. We see him as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, before he actually comes in power. And as the book is open to us, we minister to him. We don't use the message as a tool for ourselves, but we allow the message to be using us. We say, Lord, I'm here, whatever you want. Lord, I'm here for you. Now, in the fourth seal, so just, I need to just wind something down to clinch this. Now, the battle started in heaven. It'll finish on earth in the form of Armageddon. Maybe we can unfold it if the Lord lets us do it. Watch it unfold, he says. This mysterious writer, he says, uh, watch what he does now. He's talking about Christ in Revelations 19. He says, this mysterious writer, he became ble- blood and flesh. And then he talks about under the fourth seal, sorry, refuse. So he's, now he's talking about the rider that was under the fourth seal, the gray horse ride. He refused to go back and do it. He's antichrist. Oh my goodness. Oh, there's, there's, there's a part I would like to, to take here. I, I think I'm going to have to leave some of this for next week because it's going to take us too far. Let me read a little bit of this, and then I want to read one more scripture, and we'll close. Now, the holy, watch, from the four corners of the earth, they gather them together to, the Arm, to Armageddon, this gray, world-pale, sickly horse. There'll be a showdown at Armageddon. Okay, jump with me to Revelation, sorry, Zechariah 13. This is the natural part. Zechariah 13. I didn't give you this, Brother Dan. I just am thinking of it, so I'm going to do it. Zechariah 13. Now, naturally speaking, sorry, Zechariah 14, because under Zechariah 13, there had to be a revealing first, uh, or under 12 and 13, where there had to be a fountain opened in the house of David. Okay, I, I, I'm going to take some of this. I'm going to go back to Daniel 70 weeks in a, in a Wednesday service one day. But first that happened. They begin to mourn. They begin to do it. But after that, now at the battle of Armageddon, Zechariah 14, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city will be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city go this way, half this way. Verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof to the east and towards the west, and there'll be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall remove towards the north and half to the north. So he goes on to talk about a natural battle. But as he's going through the middle of this drop to verse 7, verse 6, and it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. It's a gray day. And it shall be one day that shall be known to the Lord in the day, not day or night, but it shall come to pass at the evening time it shall be light. Now there's a real blending that I want to get into between the sixth and seventh seal and between the sixth and seventh trumpet. That we'll try, Lord willing, to do next week. I'm not trying to, 
I don't want to make this information. I want to make it real. I want to make it about the time we're living in. So what's happening to them in a natural Armageddon? God comes down and fights for them. This is what the whole world will see. God will fight for them. There's, there's aspects of this. Now, one more scripture. Esther. Go back to the book of Esther. I was scared Brother Andrew was going to touch on this last week because I kind of had it in, in my notes. In, in, in Esther, and this is, I want you to look what happened here to the natural seed, but Esther types a spiritual part of that natural seed. So, Watch what happens. Haman comes into power. Esther gets to the king. She's hidden. What's behind in her, nobody knows. Haman comes to power. He begins to hate Mordecai the Jew. He begins to devise a plan. He begins to kill them. Esther now is, uh, he, he writes, he gets the king's authority. He has the authority to stamp out, to kill, to do everything. And Esther catches wind of it. And she intercedes. Now, where are we at? As the floods come in on us, as they come against our families and our children and against all of these things, we become the mercy seat. We become the veil. We become the voice of God that speaks against the floods that come against us. We are the ones God is doing. It's typed. Don't think as these things don't come up, something's not happening here. Something's happening here. As all of these things, and Esther comes in to intercede, and as she comes in to intercede, he, she says, let the king and Haman come to a feast. He says, what's your request? Come tomorrow to another feast. And that night, as the king can't sleep, as the king can't sleep, he's there, and he says, what am I going to do? He says, well, why don't you read the writings? And he reads the writings of the history, and he reads about how Mordecai saved the king's life. Out of the open book, he reads something. And he sees the origin. Oh. And it so happens, Haman, at that moment, he's riled up more than ever before. And he's riled up so much, he says, I can't wait to kill all the Jews and, and, him, and, and Mordecai. He says, I'm going to make a gallows. And he makes a gallows, and he's coming to approach the king with vengeance in his heart. And the king says, Haman, I need a bit of help here. He says, what shall be done to a man in whom the king delights? And you know, the devil just falls into every trap. And, they, and Haman writes, well, that's me. I'm the man the king delights. He says, I'll tell you what you do. Take the king's royal horse. Take the king's royal apparel. Dress that man and we'll parade him through the city. And let one of the princes parade him through the city. And he says, okay, Haman, that's a tremendous idea. And Haman's thinking, okay, where's the clothes? And he says, I want you to do exactly that. Dress Mordecai and you lead him. Listen, the devil is falling. His kingdom is falling before God and his people and the armies in heaven. Now let me read this. In, in, in just when that happens, and and. And as that happens, and he goes back to his household that day. Now this is in Esther chapter 6. And he goes back, and just after this happens, and Haman took the Mordecai, he took all of those things. Verse 12. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate. But Haman hasted his house mourning, having his head covered. You remember when Brother Andrew read that about, just draw the sheet over him. That happened, next verse. 
This happened before that. And Haman told Zeresh and his wife and all the things that had befallen him. And they said, the wise men and Zeresh, his wife, said, they watched what happened. They said, if this Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou, he says, before whom thou hast begun to fall, <laughs> then you shall not prevail against him. In other words, what you're seeing now, I'll tell you what happened when, when, when a messenger came down and he spoke in, in Portland, Oregon. There was a kingdom of the devil that was challenging him, but he, they made a challenge against the wrong man. This was God's representative. And he fell at his feet. I'll tell you what, that's not just a prophet, but there's a people that are of the seed of God that will prevail. It's happening even now. They will prevail. And you will surely fall before them. Musicians, you come. I'll tell you what, this is the same God that when Gideon came down, and Gideon, listen, when the enemies begin to notice there's something different, Gideon didn't know what was in him. He needed to have a fleece. He needed to have reassurances. And finally God says, Gideon, go down to the camp of the enemy and listen to what they're saying. And one of them said, I had a dream last night. And a boulder came down and rolled into our camp. And it said, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And, and, the, and the other guy says, that doesn't need any inter interpretation. We're going to lose the battle tomorrow. And I'll tell you what, the open word is not, doesn't need any interpretation. The devil will fall. This seed will prevail. This people will prevail. I believe that with all my heart. I'm sorry to keep you long. Let's stand together. Wow. I, I didn't really maybe bring it out the way I could have, but that's okay. The Lord wanted it that way. I think we need to sing Joel's Army. Can we do that? Joel's army comes in.